The text for the sermon is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. And the sermon was prepared by Reverend James Vischer. 2 Corinthians is found on page 964 in the Pew Bible. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so, through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort, too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as people, we all have needs. There's not one of us who is not needy. For example, we all need to eat. We all need to rest from time to time. We all need water. As a matter of fact, it might be good if after this worship service you sit down and discuss together just how many needs you really have. It would soon drive home the point that no matter who we are or what we say or think, we are all needy. Oh, and if you really want to get into the subject, you might turn to a man called Abraham Maslow, who took all the needs and compared them to a pyramid. According to him, this pyramid had five levels. At the top, he said, morality and creativity. At the bottom, needs such as food, water, and sleep. Look it up on Wikipedia. It makes for interesting reading. However, this morning, we are not here to busy ourselves with Abraham Maslow and his hierarchy of needs view. Rather, we are here to busy ourselves with the Word of God and what it says about our human needs. So what does it say? It says that one of our most basic human needs has to do with comfort. It's one of those things that make this life bearable, manageable, doable, possible. In other words, without comfort, this life is not really worth living. Indeed, it's not even livable. Strangely enough, Maslow does not even mention it. The word or term comfort is not directly on his list of, or in his hierarchy. But the Apostle Paul has it on his list. 
Indeed, let's turn to him together and listen to what he, guided by the Holy Spirit of God, has to say about one of life's basic needs. We will look at the God of all comfort, our source, our calling, and our reliance. Beloved, there is little doubt that one word in particular dominates in these opening verses of the Apostle Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. Time and again, he uses the word comfort. He does so in verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Sometimes he even uses it twice in one verse, verses 4 and 6. So why is he so obsessed with this one word? Why does he mention it so often? Because it is in all respects a most beautiful and fitting word. In it, one finds the idea of standing beside a person to encourage him or her as he or she undergoes severe testing. The key is in the standing beside someone or being near someone, being there to help someone. Some translations take the Greek word used here and render it as encouragement or consolation. And that comes close. However, the English word comfort still does a better job. Comfort comes from the Latin to strengthen much or to make strong. And that's what it does. It depicts someone who comes and stands beside you and who makes you strong, who helps you through, who comes to your aid. So here, beloved, Paul is talking about a most wonderful quality. Yes, it is a quality that helps us in all kinds of ugly situations. Paul refers to it as being effective in all our afflictions. In other words, it is application in, danger, in situations of sickness, loneliness, conflict, danger, disaster, even death. It is good for all troubles, not just some. No matter what the problem, what the pain, what the sorrow, even what the distress, what the anguish, what the hurt, this comfort helps. It is medicine for the soul, strength for the spirit. How is that possible, you ask? How can this be? It sounds too good to be true. Oh, and it would be if it were not for the comfort source. For now look and see where this exquisite quality comes from in the first place. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, comes to the church in Corinth, to the saints, spread throughout Achaia, and to us today, and he directs us all to that one great ultimate source of comfort. He writes, Blessed, or praised, be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us, Paul makes it crystal clear that this comfort comes from God. Indeed, there's no doubt about it. Paul designates him as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. What glorious descriptions. Quite simply, he is comfort source, its origin, its fountain, its inception. It comes from him and it flows from him to us. Now I'm sure this must have taken the readers by surprise. The Corinthians were Gentiles and Greeks. 
who looked on the gods as being unpredictable, capricious, envious. They were jealous and self-centered. They did not think of any god as being the source of mercy or comfort. That was improbable, unthinkable, impossible. But Paul says, not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of all of mercies and the God of all comfort. But you say, where's the proof? It's everywhere on the pages of Holy Writ. What accounts for the fact that he does not write off the human race in the days of Noah? What accounts for his promise to send a savior, for the call of Abraham, for the choosing of Israel, for his inexhaustible patience in the days of Exodus, judges, the kings, and prophets? What accounts for the sending of his son in the fullness of time, for his life and ministry, suffering for his death, for his resurrection and ascension? What accounts for the gift of the Holy Spirit, for our adoption, justification, sanctification, and redemption? What accounts for his sustaining presence in the promise of a future life full of peace and glory? Beloved, if our God was not the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, none of this would have happened. It is his mercy that is at bottom of our salvation. It is his comfort that sustains us in all of life's situations. Oh, and how often do we not see it too? Go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you have cancer, stage four. And what happens? The world suddenly caves in around you. There is darkness and despair everywhere. Tears flow like a river, but then slowly and desperately you turn to God, you call on him, you pray to him. And what happens? Little by little, you gather up your strength. You discover hope and testify of it to others. Your condition is as bleak as ever, but a new confidence fills your heart and into your life. People come to comfort you, but often you end up comforting them. How often have we not seen that in our life? And we ask, how is that possible? You know the answer. It is because the God, Father of mercies and the God of comfort comes and stands beside you and fills you with strength from above. That's what he does. That's what he's been doing for centuries. Who gave Abraham a backbone? Joseph hope? Job strength? David bravery? Jeremiah courage? Jesus obedience? Who instills such amazing commitment in the hearts of all God's martyrs? And still today, who walks with us t today through the valleys of darkness and the pits of despair? None other than our God. None other than the one who invites us. Call on me and I will answer you. Jeremiah 33 verse 3. None other than the Lord Jesus Christ who beckons, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest doesn't always mean that God will give you a cure or that God will prolong the days in this life. But rest and peace and glory? Yes. None other than the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, Comforter Supreme. Our God, our triune God, is an ever-sustaining, supporting, strengthening God.
Turn to him every day in all your hardships and sorrows. Call on his name and he will answer you. He will come and stand beside you. He will come and make you strong. But then, beloved, if our text shows that the source of comfort is none other than our Lord God Almighty, it also reveals something about our calling in all of this. Turn to verse 4. There Paul writes, who comforts, all, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Take special note of that so that. It expresses purpose, intent, direction. Often when trouble comes our way, be it in the form of an accident, flood, illness, financial hardship, marriage trouble, family problems, or what have you, we ask the proverbial question, why? Why is this happening to me, to us? Why am I on the receiving end of all this misery and pain? What possible sense does this make? What in the world is God doing by allowing this to happen to me? Now these are deep and difficult questions, and let's admit it, none of us have all the answers here. At best, we catch only glimmerings or glimpses of why. Yes, and here in our text is one of those glimpses. Paul says that at least one purpose to be found in our troubles and in the comfort we receive. It has everything to do with God turning us into comforters. It has to do with God turning us into vehicles or instruments of comfort. The purpose is so that we can comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you hear that? If God has comforted you and helped you through a difficult time in your life, that is not just something to savor and sit on. No, it is something that should motivate you to get out there and help others. It should turn you from a comfort receiver into a comfort giver and dispenser. Is that hard? Is it difficult being a comfort giver or sharer? That depends. If you think that it means preaching a sermon to everyone you meet, then it will be hard. But if it means simply being there for others, extending a helping hand, saying the odd fitting word, supplying a listening ear, giving a hug, then it's not so hard. It's also not so hard if you realize that along with trouble, God always gives comfort. Isn't that what Paul is referring to in verses 5 and 7? Verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. The NIV has, So through Christ our comfort overflows. In other words, as Christians we know suffering, but the same Christ who allows suffering also sends comfort overflowing comfort. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort, Paul says in verse 7. In other words, sufferings and comfort go hand in hand. We experience both. With the one comes the other. For the children of God, suffering is never without comfort. Believe that. 
and remind others of that as you stand beside them. But then realize, too, that along with God giving comfort in suffering, he also gives something else. You find it mentioned in the second part of verse 6. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. What does this mean? It's Paul's way of saying that suffering is not without benefit. We so often consider suffering to be meaningless, useless, senseless, don't we? But that's not true. Suffering produces something, even something worthwhile. What, you may ask? It produces endurance. Patient endurance, it creates spiritual muscle, staying power, steadfastness. It produces character. In some ways, suffering is a huge wake-up call in our lives and to the lives of those around us. One is led to think of the words of Paul in Romans 5. We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. So remember that as God gives comfort to you and as you give comfort to others, that God never allows suffering without giving comfort and he never allows suffering to be meaningless. It works something, something in terms of patient endurance, something in terms of perseverance, character, and hope. Yes, and this hope does not disappoint us. Do you understand that? Now, of course, there may be some here who are listening who are not buying into it. You're thinking, this is all humbug. Suffering really is senseless and useless. As for Paul, he's just an armchair theologian, sitting by a warm fire somewhere, sipping a glass of wine, smoking a cigar, out of touch with life and his daily struggles. But is that true? Is that an accurate assessment? Not if you read what follows here in chapter 1, in the verses 8 to 11. From these verses, we learn that Paul knows a lot about suffering. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters too, about the hardship we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we have despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Now, we do not know precisely what Paul is referring to. He does not get specific. Nevertheless, it is clear that Paul had just come through a time of deep trouble and great suffering. He talks about hardships, affliction, despair, and even death. The impression is that he had his back against a wall. There was no way out. He was facing a dead end. In short, Paul's life was full of trouble. He is no abstract theologian, no ivory tower preacher. No, he knows what it is to suffer. Look also at 2 Corinthians 11, 16-33. But he knows, too, that his suffering was not pointless. He goes on to say, But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. How often don't we do that? How often don't we rely on ourselves? We can do it. We can achieve it. 
We can fix it. We can make it happen. This kind of do-it-yourself attitude lives in all of us. It even lived in Paul. But God came along and cured him of it. God dropped a wake-up call on Paul. God made Paul realize that in himself he is weak, but in his God he is strong. After all, this is the God who raises the dead. Talk about great, unimaginable power when your reliance is on God and God alone. And talk about someone on whom to build your life. Paul goes on, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Isn't that confident language? Not only has God delivered Paul, but Paul is confident that he will always deliver Paul. Paul has hope. He has this abiding hope in God. So what else do comforters do? In addition to standing beside the suffering, to knowing that along with suffering, God supplies comfort, and to knowing that suffering produces endurance, they are also dispensers of hope, of lots of hope. Suffering, sickness, and death will not have the last words in this life. No, thanks to him who raises the dead, there is hope. There is a future full of blessings. There is a coming life full of glory. There is an approaching reunion full of surprises. There is a new creation waiting for us to explore and enjoy. There is so much more to come. But how to drive it all home? How does one convince those who suffer about all of this? How does one get the troubled to see this? Well, there is a way. It is the way of prayer, for it changes hearts, minds, and attitudes. Paul himself knows that prayer works. He has been on the receiving end of it, a lot of it. He speaks about the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Without these prayers, the outcome would have been different. So prayer has power. Beloved, remember that. There is a disturbing tendency among all too many believers to speak, to speak about prayer as if it is the last, pretty much useless, exercise of desperate people. We hear about a seemingly hopeless situation and we can say, all we can do is pray. All we can do? That sounds rather lame, doesn't it? We put more hope in doctors, operations, and drugs than in prayer. Yet all that needs a serious biblical rethink. The first and best thing you can do as comfort givers is to pray for the person you are standing beside. James writes, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So pray earnestly to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and God of all comfort, for he will hear you and help you. The psalmist says, I call on you, O God, for you will answer me. You will indeed answer me with comfort. Amen.